Good morning, everyone. My name is Lee. Um, it's great to be here this morning. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Minister here at All Saints. Um, and I'd love you to keep your Bibles open uh, to Leviticus 19, which is a pretty straightforward passage. Um, but first, I want to share with you something that upsets me. Um, it's lack of breakfast love. I love breakfast. It's probably my favourite meal to go out for. Um, a breakfast buffet, I reckon, is the best sort of buffet. My favourite thing at McDonald's is the sausage or bacon and egg McMuffins. Um, who else does loves brekkie? Who else is on my team here? Who loves brekkie? Oh, there's less than I thought. It's okay. I'm in the minority again. Um, I think I just love the simplicity of breakfast, just a good egg or piece of toast, a warm bowl of porridge or some sweet granola. Um, I love making everyone breakfast at home in the morning, um, sometimes too much because briny. Um, yeah, I just, back to the breakfast thing, I don't think I could function without breakfast. Maybe you can, maybe you can get up and just go about your day, but I can't without breakfast. And so it, uh, it does upset me when I hear people talk about breakfast like it doesn't matter. It upsets me when cafes don't have all-day breakfast menus. <laughs> And to be honest, this, this men's dinner thing is exciting, but I hope there's a few brekkie treats on there. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> men's brekkie, even better. Um, I actually have fond memories of coming home from school in the afternoon and having a bowl of cereal. Um, and seriously, most nights, I will still have a bowl of muesli before bed. Now, we will probably have different opinions about the place of breakfast in our lives, and you can talk about that with me after. But like breakfast, I think we all have different opinions about the place that God has in our lives. I think there's some of us out there that balk at the idea or feel a little bit silly for saying that we're all day, all in, fanatical Christians. Church on Sunday is plenty. It's enough. Or I reckon many of us feel guilt because we struggle to be all day, 24-7 Christians. We find it easy to be a good Christian at church, but not at home, not at work, not at school, not on our own. And we can trust God wholeheartedly with some of his commands. We're all in. We'll follow those commands. But if we're honest, some seem outdated, unfair, or a little bit backward these days. And so we wonder, even if we should be all in Christians, should we take some of what God says with a grain of salt? I mean, it was a long time ago that he wrote stuff like this. Well, Leviticus 19 reminds us that imitating God can and should happen in all areas of our lives. Um, I'm sure you noticed as we read through those passages the sheer randomness of it, right? From wearing single material clothing and regarding fruit as forbidden for three years to not making your daughter a prostitute and respecting the elderly. It's random. And so today I want us to see why it's important to have an attitude of wrestling towards imitating God in all areas of our lives, Firstly, it's because we are his. 
He is our God. We are his people. We are his children. Fifteen times in our passage, God says, I am the Lord, your God, your God, after giving a command. They, God's people, the Israelites, were to follow God's ways, and we are to follow God's ways because he is our God. Now, look, I don't love it when I say to my kids, do this because I am your parent. I am your dad. I mean more when I say that. It's not a great parenting moment. I mean, I love you. I care about you. I want you to trust me. I want you to be safe. I want you to be kind and respectful in this moment. It's not simply because I am your dad. And so when God says, do this or do, don't do that because I am your God, he means more than that. At the beginning and end of this chapter, we find out what that more is. In verse 2, God says, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And at the end of the chapter, verse 36, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. They did, and we belong to a holy God, and a God who has saved us, freed us, a God who loves us. And so when I struggle to trust certain commands, I look to the God who sent his son to the cross for me. I look to the God who has defeated death and given me hope of life with him forever. I may not get or understand where he's coming from all the time, all of his commands, um, but I can see that it's coming from a God who loves me, who loves the world. And so God doesn't just command anything. You know, God's not saying, oh, let's see if they'll follow this random thing for me. No, like there's actually something behind it. His commands are ways we can be holy like he is holy. We can be distinct in this world in the ways that he is distinct from this world. By following God's ways, by imitating Jesus, we actually get to know God and his character better. Let me give you an example from the passage. So in verse 14, it says, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. When we don't bully or ignore the weak and the vulnerable in our lives... When we love and include those who have a disability, we begin to see and love people the way God sees and loves people. And so I'm so stoked about this side-by-side ministry that Grace has started up and that others are a part of. Um, Because we're stepping into God's shoes and striving to see people the way God does. Um, In verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And this can be hard, but when we forgive, when we show kindness to those who have wronged us, when we feel the pain of letting things go and not letting them build up, we get a tiny taste of what it's like for God to forgive us 
and the things that he is pained by. We belong to a holy God, a God who has brought us out of darkness and into the wonderful light of his son. And so walking in his ways, obeying his commands in all areas of life, even that area that you just really struggle with. Firstly, it strengthens the bond that God secured for us in Jesus, that God desires. He wants a relationship with him, a deep relationship with him, and we actually get to know him better through obeying his commands. We begin to understand and appreciate his holy character and the blessings it brings. Secondly, to reflect God to all people, we have to reflect him in all we do. If we want all kinds of people to encounter Jesus, which is our, in our vision statement, we'll bombard people with Christ-like lives everywhere they look. They won't be able to see a Christian and not see Jesus' character coming out. And God's people in this time, in Leviticus' time, they were about to cross paths and live among the Canaanites. And it's safe to assume that many Egyptians lived among them, that they kind of tagged along as they exodused out of Egypt. Um, back at chapter, in, chapter 18, verse 1 to 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Again, God isn't simply saying, I just want you to do the opposite of whoever you live among. If they go left, you go right. No, he wants them to reflect his character in ways that the people around them will notice in all areas of life. And I didn't get up to speed, I'm really sorry, it would have been very helpful if I did, on ancient Egyptian and Canaanite culture. Um, but even still, through the array of commands that are given here, you kind of get hints of what they were walking into, as well as walking out of. So if you look down at verse 4, probably, you know, don't, do not turn to idols. I'm sure they would face that and had faced that. Verse 17 do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart, but rebuke your neighbour frankly. Maybe verse 19, do not mate different kinds of animals. But definitely verses 23 to 25, because it starts with when you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. Now, to be honest, I don't really get what was going on here, um, and the commentaries didn't make it super clear, um, but I can see that they're showing what's going on here is they're trying to show their neighbors that God is worth trusting, that God is the one who gives them good things by doing this thing. Also, in verses 33 to 34, it says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. 
The Israelites know what it's like to be mistreated and oppressed as foreigners. And it will be tempting when this land becomes their land. It says it's going to be your land to mistreat foreigners as well. And it might even be accepted. But this doesn't reflect God, his holiness, his love. Now, we live in a very diverse, multi-everything society, which I love. There are all sorts of people that need to know the love and holiness of God. We grow up in families, we learn with, work with, play with people who live very different lives. So we could sit down and write our own Leviticus 19 for the culture, for the suburb, the homes we live in, even just for your individual life, you could write something as random as this. And maybe some of it we might copy and paste. But I'm sure things would be different as well. The point is the same, though. The point is the same. If we want all sorts of people to notice the God we follow, we'll follow him in all we do. We'll bombard people with Christ-like lives everywhere they look. We'll consider the way that we treat poor and rich, young and old, animals and plants, family and strangers. We'll wrestle with what food we eat, what clothes we wear. In all of it, we're trying to show the beauty and majesty of our holy God and that he's worth trusting and following. So I want to go to the clothing one. If you look at verse 19 in your Bibles, it often comes up as a, an odd command. You can't um, wear two mixed like blends of material. And often people say, well, if this is outdated, then surely other things are outdated. And how do we you know, begin to even start applying the Old Testament? Do we just pick and choose? Do some things lose their significance? Um, I don't think we should wear, I don't think it's wrong to wear cotton polyester blends or I don't want anyone to be checking their tags and and like, oh my goodness. Um, I think what's going on here is there's some context. The priests were told to wear mixed blended clothing. Um, So that was something distinct for them and their role among God's people. And so to say to the rest of God's people, don't do that, don't wear that, Um, It was a way of helping keep the priests distinct and preventing others from any sort of act of usurping their authority um, or undermining their role among God's people. And so, like all Old Testament commands, even New Testament ones that find themselves in a specific context, we need to find the principle under it. We don't just throw it out. Um, And the principle is that God gives people, certain people, gifts and roles in his church. And we shouldn't be here seeking to undermine or usurp or devalue what others do. That's it. That's what I've got for the the clothing thing. (laughs) The main point is, though, we should strive to imitate God in all areas of our lives. 
because he has saved us, because he is a holy God, because that's how we get to know him better. He's a relational God, and it's a way that we can reflect him in all we do to all kinds of people. Um, But lastly, I want to tackle the question of, what if it's too hard? What if we fail? What if there's an area of our life we find it so difficult to let God into? Maybe there's some past hurt or trauma. What if we come across commands that we just don't get, we find unfair or even a bit disturbing, and we just cannot get on board with what God is saying there. Well, the most important thing to remember is Leviticus 19 and the rest of the Bible isn't saying be perfect or God won't accept you. It's not saying if you don't give your all to God, if you don't let him into all areas of your life, he will hold out on you. He won't love you. He won't always be there for you. He will make himself scarce to you. The devil would want you to believe those things, but they are not true. God doesn't love us because we loved him. He's not with us because we're perfect. God didn't rescue the Israelites because they were perfect. You know, as you've been hearing about over the past few weeks, there was this whole system of sacrifices and offerings and regulations that God gave his sinful people so that they could have a relationship with him. And we need to keep looking to Jesus and see that in him we're secure with God. We're not secure because we are these perfect altogether Christians. God doesn't operate towards us in like a karma sort of way. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. No, God has given us his spirit. He dwells with us and he won't hold down on us and he won't make himself scarce in your life because you struggle in this certain area. When we feel distant from God, and we all do at times, we need to trust God when he says these sort of things. Is it on there? These sort of things. Um, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. When Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, another advocate will help you and be with you forever. What if it's too hard? What if we fail? We will. It's not an if. We will. But God will never abandon you. He will never abandon us. His love and mercy are greater than our sin. It's also helpful to look at Leviticus 19 and the the random array of commands and notice that no one is let off the hook. I imagine as ancient Israel walked away from hearing this, they would have said to each other, whoa, we've all got a lot to work on. It's humbling it stops us from looking down on others or even looking down on ourselves. You know, as someone at All Saints, I rejoice in the oil and rice drive and how we're trying to love and support refugees in our area. I rejoice in the side-by-side ministry and how we're striving to lift up and befriend people who have a disability in our area. But 
what if we come across a command and it really grates against us? We just can't agree with it, let alone follow it. Well, the Christian's call, the Christian's main response is always trust. In Leviticus 19.36, when God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, part of what God is saying is, trust me. Trust me, I saved you and I brought you to myself. Trust could mean directing your difficulties and feelings about a command to God. Praying for clarity on it. Praying for a way forward. Praying for strength to obey. Trusting God means directing your frustration towards him and not pushing God away. Trust could mean talking to a brother or sister in Christ, whether they share the same struggle or not. Trust could mean sharing it with your small group or sharing it with someone here this morning. I think a really unhelpful and unhealthy church practice, and it happens a lot, is covering up our struggles. So if I cover up my struggles, you'll be tempted to think, Oh, he's, he's got it all together. He's, he's more like Jesus. Um, that I have less to work on. That I don't have struggles. And if you have struggles, then you might feel ashamed. Oh, I'm not as good. I'm not good enough. Or you might look down on others and judge others. Because that's the only way you can cope with having struggles yourself. Or you'll do exactly the same and just cover up your struggles. And then we end up with a whole church of hypocrites who put on a mask and don't really encourage one another and aren't really real about our struggles. And I wouldn't like to be part of a church like that. And I don't think we'd make for a great witness to the surrounding community if we were like that. So trust could mean sharing this struggle, maybe for the first time in your life. Maybe it's something you've always hidden. Trust could also mean, and this could be a bit controversial, obeying a command that you don't agree with or you don't understand. And maybe as we walk in God's shoes, in Jesus' shoes, turn the other cheek, hang out with those on the outer, not give in to that temptation we'll begin to see the good and the wisdom and the joy in it, even if we don't get it. Let's strive to be and wrestle towards being a people that reflect and imitate our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, in everything we do. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are holy You are not like us, and that confuses us. Um, Sometimes that doesn't make sense to us why the ways that you operate in this world, the ways that you want us to, um, there are many things in your word that we struggle to wrap our heads around. But we look to the cross, we look to you sending your son to die in our place, the greatest act of love giving all of himself up for us. 
And I pray that as we seek to appreciate and know you better, um, that we try and do that with all of our lives. And as we know this good news and this joy, and as we desperately want to share it with others, that we would show it in everything we do. And I pray that through your spirit, who is with us always, that he would strengthen us to do this. In your son's name. Amen.